right. You guys can have a seat. That was good. That was better than first service. What's up with that? Giving them the, the prime rib today. First service got the hot dogs. I'm just kidding. It was good too. It probably just me. You ever have that where you walk into a church? It's like the same church service and one hits different than the other. I guess God just moving. So, hey, if this is your first time here, my name is Adam. I'm the lead pastor here. I want to start real quick by just making a a quick announcement, which is the worst way to start a sermon uh, objectively, but I'm still going to do it. Uh, Coming up here real quick, we have two of our biggest outreaches of the year. Uh, Blue Tip, which is the parade and the festival, and then the fireworks, which we've never done before. Both those things are rapidly approaching. So uh, if you have not signed up to serve, just know Amanda already knows you're going to. She just needs you to formally sign the paper so that, uh, because we know, you just know that we need you. Uh, So here's the deal. We really care about our volunteers. I've had a lot of conversation with Lauren, our kids director, and and a lot of the other uh, people who are kind of leading ministries. And I always get nervous that we're going to like way overdo it with our volunteers. We have so many good people here who pour their lives out for the mission that Jesus has given us. So uh, we talked about it. And the, so Friday, July 1st are the fireworks. What we're going to do is that Sunday, the 3rd, we're going to have online church uh, to, take, to take care of our volunteers, right? So we're, gonna, we're just going to go online. Uh, it was tepid, but okay. Um, here's the deal. Forgive me. I'm just, I, I'm a pastor, but I'm also a realist. It's July 4th weekend. You weren't coming anyways. So we're just going to go online and, went and uh, all the people we invite on that Friday, they weren't coming in two days. They're going to wait a couple weeks and we're going to be fine, okay? So we're going to have that week off. We do this in, in Christmas. We have our Christmas service and we take the next week off and go online. We're just going to have Christmas in July now. We're going to build it into the rhythm of the church. So I'm excited about it. Um, you are only mildly excited about it. That's right. All right, so that's happening. That's my bribe, by the way. That's my bribe. Hey, you don't have to come to church on Sunday. You should sign up to serve on Friday. That's your, that's your church. So... Uh, as I was preparing for this message, uh, I did a lot this week. I, I get up really early because I have children, and the only time where you can actually have a moment without chaos is at 4.30 in the morning. So that's like I'm, I'm sitting with my computer, and I forget which morning it was, but there were some storms rolling through. And for me, uh, I'm not like full-on ADD, but when I try to be creative, it is when my mind just goes a hundred different directions. So there's a storm rolling through. I start thinking about like, huh, thunder, lightning. So I started looking up lightning and now you're going to get that, that my distraction is now built into my sermon. So uh, I started looking it up. Did you know that lightning is only like the width of your thumb? I always thought it was like, you know, way, way bigger, but it's only the width of your, th- it's just a little thing. Um, even so, uh, 54,000 degrees. 54,000, that's five times hotter than the surface of the sun. Crazy. Just a little tiny thing, that hot. Um, don't worry, though. Your, your odds of getting struck by lightning are only one in 1.2 million, so you're probably good, right, uh, in a given year. And then to, by comparison, in case you need to compare stats, uh, your chances of winning the lottery are only one in 300 million. So your odds of getting struck by lightning or higher. I don't know if you caught that. So if you do go buy a, a lottery ticket confidently, also watch the sky because you're more, you're more likely to die from that, okay? Um, one lightning bolt has enough power uh, to light a 100-watt light bulb for uh, three months 
or if you're going 88 miles an hour, it can send a DeLorean back in time. So really powerful stuff. Only the 80s kids cared about that joke. Is it really not cool anymore? It's, it's, it's back to the future, people. Come on, man. What, you guys are talking a lot. That's scary. I can't hear anything, but... Didn't I say 88? Did I not say the right number? I said 88. What did I say? Fact check me. That's cool. So, everybody knows what happens after lightning, though, right? Lightning, thunder. Uh, and... Uh, thunder's really the, the like scarier one, even though thunder can't kill you. Thunder's the thing that really gets your attention, right? You see the flash, it's not that big of a deal. It's when the boom hits that it really, you, like you feel it, right? It's like the explanation point after the fact. You ever been in a storm where it hits close enough that it's not just a boom, it's like a crack boom? Those are the ones where really you just want to like jump under the table, right? Like that's, those are scary stuff. You feel the power of the thing, which is probably why in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, God's power, God's movement, God's voice are described uh, by thunder. It's this idea that God thunders from heaven. It's supposed to kind of carry this, this weight of this overwhelming, almost scary level of power that God has. So what I want to talk to you about today is something that when you move, God moves. Lightning, thunder. Like when you obey, God responds. Lightning, thunder. Your actions, God's answer. Lightning, thunder. The title of my message today is Thunderstruck. I had this idea in my head that I was going to have Steve like start playing the music as soon as I said that, but Facebook would shut us down. So we can't do that because they don't like it. You play like one note from a song that's copyrighted and they just, they ban you for life or something like that. So, um, Thunderstruck. I love, it's obviously it's a good song, but I, I love the idea um, of being thunderstruck, something that's like surprising and moving uh, because the thing we're going to talk about today is not just that you, you do something and God responds, it's that God responds in an overwhelming and powerful way to the point that you will be thunderstruck. Uh, so what we're talking about today is money, money. Yay. That's what you woke up needing to hear about. Um, so if this is your first time here, sorry, there was a rule. We weren't supposed to invite friends today. We were just going to have a mosaic talk. So if somebody invited you, it's their fault. You can blame them. Um, so again, if you're a first time guest, uh, we just know that money's a, a, a thing that when somebody walks into a church, it's not necessarily the first impression we want to give. And it can be a touchy subject for some people. I will tell you, though, just so you know, here's what, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to speak really boldly here, and then I'm going to explain it. Uh, or I could say it this way. I'm going to punch you in the nose, and then I'm going to give you a tissue. Okay, so can we, can we I'm, I'm just telling you this is what's happening. I'm, I'm going to come, I'm coming in hot. And then I'll explain it, okay? So don't, don't get too nervous in the beginning because it, it, it's going to make sense, but I, I do have to come in pretty hot here. Uh, speaking of which, if you're not a Christian, uh, I, know, I know we always have people who, who maybe don't have uh, faith in Jesus yet. I just want to talk to you for a minute if you're not a Christian. One, uh, you're kind of off the hook today because I'm not necessarily talking right to you uh, on this subject. And since that's the case, uh, I need your help. So if you're not a Christian today, what I need from you is for when you hear something that you feel like the Christians really need to hear, can you elbow the Christian next to you? 
Like really just a, a sh- not hard, but like enough that it gets, it's like the explanation point at the end of the sentence. You just probably between the second and third one would be a good spot. You know, it's soft right there. You want to get their attention. Uh, because uh, if you're not a Christian, uh, I know that, that sometimes things look different from the outside in than they do from the inside out. And I just think that as a, if, if you're here, and usually if you're not a Christian, you're kind of checking things out, right? You're kind of, hey, what's, what's this whole faith thing about? What's this Jesus guy about? What are these people who say they follow him? What are they like? Uh, so what you would, part of your evaluation, I would say, would be um, like consistency, right? You'd want to see people who whatever they said they believed, they actually believed it. So my guess is when it comes to this subject, um, if you're sitting next to a Christian and they say, I trust Jesus for my salvation. Like I believe that, that he, it's his, what he did on the cross, that's gonna save me forever, for eternity. But then if they say, but I don't really trust him with my money. Like that to you, you'd be like, that's super inconsistent. That's when you elbow them, okay? You hit them right in the ribs because what you're, you're saying that like, that's an argument from the greater to the lesser, right? You, you trust him with this, but you don't trust him with that. Like that doesn't make any sense. You, you, should, you should, if you trust him up here, then you definitely need to trust him down here. So again, uh, non-Christians, help me out here. Uh, physical violence is what I need from you today. Um, all right, Christians, Christians, now that you have your elbows down to block yourself. Um, If I locked you alone in a room with a Bible um, and and like you asked the question, what does God want from me uh, when it comes to my, what does God want with my finances? And you just read the whole thing. And that was the whole point of your, your being in the room is just, I'm just gonna read the Bible, ask the question, what does God want in the area of my finances? one of the words that you would, if you were like, you know, kind of writing stuff down, one of the words you would write down again and again is this word generosity, generosity, generosity. You'd see that word consistently in the Bible because one of the marks of a Christian is generosity. Did you know that? That's one of the marks of a Christian. We don't keep everything God gives us. We don't do that. Uh, we, we serve a God who is a giver. Therefore, we are givers. We want to be like him. That is uh, a part of what it means to be a Christian. So let me be bold here. I'm gonna make a crazy bold statement. You would come through that exercise out on the other side. You'd open up the door and you would know that God wants you to give more than 0% of your income back to him. is that a good starting point? Can I just say that without anybody saying, I don't know about that. Like, can, can that be my least controversial statement here today? You should give more than zero. Okay. That that's make a Facebook clip out of that. Um, because I, I just, I just, I can't imagine a scenario where um, somebody would say, I believe Jesus died for my sins, but also, I give zero dollars toward building Jesus' kingdom on this earth. Like that to me, it, it makes no sense. It's, it's a little hypocritical and it's kind of ludicrous. So, um, and by the way, again, I would, I would appeal to the non-Christians again. The Christians are the one who get this mess up. The non-Christian would look at you and go, wait a minute. You believe that, that God came down to earth, died on a cross, and that that act will like, if people put their faith in him, like they have a relationship with God and a future eternal home in heaven and you don't want to like give towards that money being spread on this earth, 
Like, I think they would look at you and go, what are you doing? Like, if that's true, if you really believe that, my goodness, that's the most important thing in the world. Most important. Why wouldn't you want to give towards that? So, I said all that to firmly establish that you should consistently give more than zero dollars to God's kingdom. Uh, good job, Adam. Okay, so, but pastor, that doesn't really narrow it down. There's a lot of numbers besides zero, right? Uh, so, what, what, what should we give, right? Uh, that, that's a good question, um, and again, I, if we could, the hard part when you're talking about money is it's so hard to ask the questions without an objective or an agenda built into it. So if you could just try to strip away all the reasons you might have for whatever you want to think about this and just go again to the Bible and say, all right, I'm going to lock myself in the room again. And this time I'm going to ask the question, how much do you want me to give, God? I already know that you want me to give more than zero, so how much do you want me to give to build your kingdom on this earth? If you, if you did that and you read the whole thing again, um, you would be hard-pressed to get away from this number 10%. You'd see it all over the place. Uh, way early back uh, in the Bible, this guy named Abraham, he gave this priest Melchizedek 10%. It's just like an example. Uh, he, he gave 10%. You jump a little forward to this guy named Jacob. Jacob promises to give God 10% if he'll like, get him out of this trouble that he's in, and God comes through, so Jacob gives God 10%. Both of those, by the way, Christians are pre-law. Then you have uh, ancient Israelites who, who gave 10% of their income towards the work of God in the temple uh, during their time. And then you even have Jesus actually use the word tithe, which tithe means 10th, by the way. So you would see this number just kind of sprinkled all throughout the Bible. And again, if you're asking the question, if you're asking the question, God, how much do you want me to give? If you were objectively, very coolly, just ask, not like a lawyer looking for loopholes, like, hmm, I don't know, I think it means that. If you were just saying, Lord, I want to know your heart, I think you'd have a hard time getting away from 10%. I really do. I think you'd have a hard time getting away from it. It's a number that's in there. It's one of the only ones. Now, I don't know what your church background is. Some, some pastors, uh, you know, they'll say if you, if, if, if you don't give 10%, like you're sinning. I, I don't think um, that giving five or seven or 9.9% means you're sinning. Some, some do, I, I'm, I'm not there. Uh, but for me, again, if I'm just honestly asking the question, it's hard for me to get away from that. I mean, think about it. Ancient Israelites literally lived in tents or one-room huts with no running water, no air conditioning. They rode donkeys, cheaper. They don't have to pay for gas, so that's nice for them. But that's the only plus side there. Can you imagine, though, if you could like, bring one of them forward in time, bring an ancient Israelite, and just have them just walk around with you for like a day, and they just get to experience all that is your life. And then you sit down for dinner at the end of the day, and you have a conversation about this subject. And if your stance was, man... 10% seems high, man. I think the ancient Israelite would come across the table and beat you up. I don't know how tough you are, but I just feel like they would be insulted to say, hey, look at all that you have and you want to make the argument that 10's too much? Like they would, they would be shocked at the, the bountiful plenty that we have and then that we would want to make that argument. So 
Here's my statement. This one maybe is a little more controversial than my 0% statement, but I really believe that it should be a goal for a Christian to give 10% of their income towards building God's kingdom on this earth. I really do believe that. Um, Now, just drop that. Like I said, there's your... um, I don't, I struggle with this because like what, what happens in, in me, I, whenever I preach, I always try to think about it from your perspective. And I know this is like a hostile thing. Like people are like, oh my gosh, you really think that? And it hurts because there's not a lot of people that actually do that too. So I'm trying to like process all of your emotions. It's a weird thing that I do. Um, but I had to back up for a minute and just go, hold up a minute. Like, why is it always our posture is that God's trying to, God wants something from me. Like, isn't that weird that that's kind of the way we view this? Like, oh man, pastor, I mean, when you said the zero thing, like I get you, it has to be more than zero. That makes sense. But you're saying 10, like that seems like a ton. Like that's a lot. And I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it's not. Um, But why is that the, what I want to do is I kind of want to flip this a little bit because I want to boldly make the statement that, okay, listen, if God's heart, if that's God's heart, and you have to accept my premise, I don't know. You'd, if you don't accept my premise, then you better lock yourself in a room with a Bible and figure this out because this is a really important thing. You've you got to figure out what God's heart is in this. But if you accept my premise, like, do you realize it's, it's not just that he's saying, hey, like, <laughs> it was all mine anyway, so give me 10% back to build my kingdom on this earth. Um, what, what he then promises when you do that like what, what gets enacted on the other side of that when he says, do this and then watch me work. Like this is where I start to get, I, I want to re-enter being bold again. So like, as a pastor, like, okay, you should give 10%. Like I feel like bad, like I have to tell you this, but like, it's kind of important. You should probably do that if that's what God says. Um, but now I just want to be bold and say, no, 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 I, actually you're missing out. You don't, you don't even know what you're missing out on if you, don't, if you don't participate in this way, you don't get to see God move. So um, I want to flip it. Rather than thinking God wants something from me, no, actually, I believe on three levels that God wants to do some things for you in response to this. He wants to do some things in you in response to this. And he wants to do some things through you in response to this. To the point that the from you part is little. It, it is nothing. It is the flash The response from God is the boom. It's the crack boom. And you're missing out because you won't, you won't participate in the flash, the spark over here. You don't get to see God move like that. So here's what I want to do. I want to share with you three things that God does in response to our giving uh, to him. First thing is for you. This is everybody's favorite part because I want God to do some stuff for me. That's nice. I need that, right? So what happens when you consistently, when you decide, because you have to decide, right? This has to be a decision. Um, If you're married, it probably needs to be a a conversation. It needs to be a mutual decision that we are going to do this. When you decide to give a certain percentage of your income back to God, back to, not to him for the first time was already his, but you're giving it back to him. What happens then is uh, the Bible kind of talks about it's almost a positional thing that, that that makes God your provider. God becomes your provider. If you're not giving um, 
really what's happening then is, is you've decided other things are your provider, right? Your, your job, your investments, whatever kind of income you have, those things are your provider. But when you give, when you, you say, I'm going to give this portion back to you in faith, God, that makes God your provider. He takes that position in your life. And when he does that, the things that he says are just crazy, crazy. Malachi 3.10, look at what God says here. Bring all the tithes into the storehouses so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. There is no other place in the Bible where God talks like that. Actually, it's universally, uh, you're not supposed to test God. Jesus even quotes that to the devil in the, in the wilderness, right? Thou shalt not test the Lord your God. But there's one exception, and this is it, where God says, hey, if you give, watch me work. I become your provider then. And he's, I don't know what the windows of heaven look like, but that sounds pretty interesting to me. And he says, he's going to pour out from there a blessing so much that you're like in ancient Israel times, it was like, Hey, you're going to have to build barns that are bigger now because of what I'm going to do. We don't have that, but that's the idea. You're not going to have enough room to take in what he's going to do in response to your giving. He's saying, try me. It's almost a taunt. Isn't that like a good taunt? Like, that'd be like taunting your wife. Like, if you love me, I'm going to love you so much. Like, you know, like, like you're, is that a taunt? I can't tell. What are we doing here? And that's how God is here. Try me. What he's saying is, you can't outgive me. You can't outgive me. And that's, that's, that's a statement. He's actually kind of saying, let's, let's see. You, you, you give, I'll give back, and we'll see who wins this. Like, he is flexing, saying, feel how strong I am when you do this. It is his promise. That is an amazing promise. I don't want to be mean. I kind of want to be mean. What a dumb thing to not say yes to. Like, that is an insane promise. He says, I will move in this way in your life if you do this. And okay, so... And that's the Old Testament, Adam. That's, that's for the, okay, fine. Luke 6, 38, Jesus speaking in the New Testament to us. He says this, give and you will receive. You will, your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. What uh, again, a crazy statement for him to say that when you give, something happens that now he's saying he will give back to you. And the, 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 the almost creative artistic language that he uses, pressed down, he's shaking it together to make room for more. And then he's pouring so much in that it's pouring into your lap. There's, there's so much that he's going to give back in response to your generosity. And then he throws that little tag at the end. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. The way I always picture that in my head is like, whatever container you use to give to God, he's going to say, hey, can I borrow that? And he's going to use that container to give back to you. It's going to be proportional to the amount you give. So if you use a little teaspoon and you give to God, he's going to say, hey, can I borrow that? And you're going to be like, I want you to do this. You can take this now. He's going to use the same container to give back. Again, what? A crazy promise. Extravagant generosity leads to extravagant provision. He just said that right there. Jesus said that. 
And then look at Proverbs eleven twenty four. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. I love this one because it's, you know, Proverbs is the wisdom literature of the Bible. So when you read this one, though, it sounds like the opposite, right? Like it's almost like God wrote these spiritual laws in this area upside down, right? Like because our, our instinct is to go, no, if I give away, I have less. And God's like, actually, that's wrong. You're like, what? <laughs> no, if I give away, I have less. God's like, nope, not, not, not in this economy. And then my instinct would be if I, if I keep what's mine, I have more. And God's like, no, actually you'll have less. Like, that, that's, I was like in third grade and I learned that that's wrong. That's not the right kind of math. That, that, that doesn't work. And, and on the surface, what I'm telling you right now doesn't make sense, right? I just told you that 90% of your income is greater than 100% of your income. I just said that essentially, right? Now, you remember that when you were in like third grade and you had a little greater than sign, you know, just Pac-Man was supposed to be open to the bigger one like that. You remember that? That was the way I remembered it. So how is 90 bigger than 100? Well, what God is promising here, again, it goes back to what I said uh, in the beginning of this section is, is that he is going to be the X factor. He's the variable that you're missing in your equation. It's not 90 is greater than 100. It's 90% with God is greater than 100% without him. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, this, he, I, I know the math doesn't work, but that's because you haven't included me in the equation. I will make the equation work. As a matter of fact, he's going to overwhelmingly make this side more than this side because he's God and he can do whatever he wants, right? So that's what you're saying here. When God, when you give you decide to make God king of your finances, you put him at the top, you take from the very first portion of what you get and you give it back to him, you make him your provider and he is the one that then starts working in your finances for you. God wants to do some things for you. Now, that is, in my opinion, the least interesting one uh, of the three for you. I mean, it's cool, right? I mean, God, you're literally making God your provider and, and watching him work in just amazing ways in your life. Uh, but the other two for me um, are even more interested, just deeper. So the second one is that God wants to do some things in you. When you're generous, when you decide, I'm going to give a certain portion of my money back to God, it's not just external. It's not just some shallow thunder that he sends your way. God moves in your heart, as well in your heart. Look at Acts 20, 35. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than receive. It's more blessed to give than receive. Now, let's blessed. We, we just spent five weeks talking about blessed, right? Um, we know that the word blessed could be translated happy. So what Jesus just said is, it's happier to give than receive. Which again, on the surface, that sounds wrong. I'm happier when I receive. No, Jesus is saying, no, uh, on a deep, fundamental level, happiness and generosity are linked. Now, that was 2,000 years ago that Jesus says that. Um, but if you look, if you just type in uh, to Google generosity and happiness, you will find a plethora 
of scientific studies, of psychological studies, socioeconomic studies, where they've looked into this and and now scientists would tell you that there's a neural link between generosity and happiness. And Jesus said, told you, right? So think about that. That's a crazy thing to say that Jesus is actually saying, hey, part of your happiness on this earth comes from generosity, from being obedient in this area of your life. That people who put their hands around what's theirs and keep everything, they're not as happy as people who hold loosely and have their hands open. They're not. They're not as happy. Like that's a crazy thing to say that maybe part of my problem that, you know, whatever my problem is, well, maybe part of your problem is that you're not generous. You don't give. You're not obedient in this area of your life. And that's actually having bigger effect on you than you could have possibly imagined. That that, that it's supposed to do something in here. It's more blessed to give than to receive spiritually, emotionally, physiologically. Changed. God will change you here in response to you being obedient to him in this area of your life. Proverbs 11.25 says this. The generous will prosper, but those, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Refreshed. I love that language. Um, it's not just happiness. There's a, there's a refreshing that the generosity somehow protects you against the weariness of this world. That there's a refreshing, a reviving, a restoration on the inside that happens in response to your generosity. I don't know about you, but these past two years, I could use some, some refreshing right now. And God says that in in generosity, uh, he does something in your soul, a refreshing. Another thing that he does, um, you ever ever wished you cared more about (laughs) spiritual things? You'd never admit that in church, right? We're all good. I care about heaven and I care about eternity so much, so much, right? You'd never say it in church, but... um, if we were really honest, there are times where you wish you cared more about eternal things than you do, right? And, and that, that's a, that's, that's a really takes a deep understanding of yourself to say, hey, I know that I like don't care as much as I should, but I wish I did. Like that, that's, a, that's some deep understanding you'd have to have of yourself. And every once in a while, I'm there. I'm like, God, I just don't care as much as I wish I, I did. So if, if you've ever been in that place, look, look at what Jesus says here in uh, Matthew 6, 21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So what he's saying is like your, your money, where you put your money, your heart actually, it's like attracted to that thing. So, so your money works, it's almost like a magnet in some ways to the things that you're supposed to care about. So, so this would be a way where you could say, hey, this, this would increase my uh, passion, my energy when it comes to the kingdom of God if I give to the kingdom of God, that, that, that somehow your, your mind and your heart are connected to where you put your money. That's what he just said, right? And the verses right before this, by the way, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. So he's trying to get us to see that, hey, if you give towards eternal things, your heart's going to be drawn to that. It helps you cut those attachments to things that don't satisfy on this earth. It does. Guards against greed and the false promises of money. Generosity works. You know what else God does in you through your generosity? And I believe this one 
this is the most important one for me, is it increases your faith. It increases your faith. When you give and you watch God move in your life in response to that giving, your faith will grow. I have never met somebody ever who gives like 10% of their income who's kind of, meh, it's all right. Like I've never, I've never met somebody who's only mildly excited about it. I've only ever met people when they give 10% where they like want to tell you stories. Like they're the kind of people in church where you're like trying to get away from, trying to get away from it. But they want to tell you like, listen, God has moved in this way in my life in response to this. They're like excited about it because they're experiencing that math equation that doesn't make sense. They're going, I have 90. I like only have 90, but I have more than I did when I had 100. That doesn't make any sense. And they want to tell you about it. Like their faith in God has exploded because they've watched him move in this very tangible, real way. They are so excited about it. And I've talked to people this week about like people coming out of the woodwork, telling me little stories here and there about how God has moved in their life. I know from personal experience, it's always weird for me to, well, I'm allowed to tell stories in almost every area of my life, just not this one. So what I'm going to do it anyways. Um, Last year, my wife and I gave more money away than we've ever given more zeros than I've ever seen leave the bank account. But we ended the year with our bank account the same size as when we started it. So I just, and, and now I'm not like, it's when me and Lisa talk, we're not even like surprised. It's just this, this base level gratitude that we know when he says, try me, I want to. I want to. I don't want to miss out on that, actually. I'm jumping at it because I know then he goes to work and he starts moving. And I want to experience that in my life. So God wants to do some things for you. He wants to do some things in you. And lastly, he wants to do some things through you. What God does with your generosity is not just about you. It's bigger than you. God is going to use your generosity to build his kingdom on this earth. By the way, that's his method. That's his MO. God owns everything, but he still works through the generosity of his people. And that is kind of annoying. Like, wish you would. It's like, God, can't you just like take some money from the stock market and use it? No, he's going to use your bank account instead. Um, but that is really how he does it because he knows, because he's going to work on so many levels through our generosity. That's how he works on this earth. He funds the expansion of his kingdom through the generosity of his people. So here's my mentality. I don't look as, at generosity as giving to a church. Oh, I got to give to the church. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as giving through the church. You're giving through the church to a mission. We are pooling our resources together. We could all do this separate. You, you, could, you, could, you could build God's kingdom. You could build God's kingdom. But we're saying here, we're going to do this together. That we're going to pool our resources and we're going to have a greater impact together than we would apart. M- multiplied, not added. So our mission here at Mosaic is to be a church for people who don't think church is for them. Uh, we painted it on the wall out there so we wouldn't forget. And that really is our heart. Um, it was six years ago that we started, uh, that, that like God laid that sentence on my heart. I still remember driving through uh, the hills of West Virginia. We were coming back from uh, a church conference. And I remember when that statement kind of solidified uh, we were in West Virginia. We were driving. I'm like, God, we're gonna. I just feel God calling us to be a church for people who don't think church is for them. Like that's it. That's our target. And uh, now, what's crazy is for me, I look at it like going back six years. What's changed in our country and our culture is that the amount of people 
who would say church isn't for them has grown a ton, right? So God said fish in this pond and then he is now, <laughs> the pond is, is more and more fish in it. So it's almost like God went out ahead of us and said, be that church because that church is gonna be really necessary in the next decade. So, so I love that. He's positioned us here for that reason. Man, I feel, I always feel like braggy in these parts where, cause I have to, I have to tell you like God's moving in this church. And like, I'll, I guess I'll try to say it in a humble way. I know what it's like to experience ministry where it's like a grind, where you have to celebrate the tiniest little thing happening. Like somebody gets saved and you talk about it for like eight months because it's the only person that got saved. And you just have to keep talking about it over and over again. Cause it's the only thing. Like, I know what that's like. I know what it's like. Um, <laughs> when I first started, I wasn't, uh, before I was lead pastor, I forget what my title was, junk drawer pastor, whatever needed dunk pastor. One of the, uh, we, we changed curriculum. I remember being down in the basement of the old church building with two kids, two. There's, neither one of them are here, it's all right. They did not have fun that day. They did not have fun that day. But do you realize like the, what a privilege it is to be here now? Like, do you know? So like every week we have a hundred kids down in our kids ministry, like a hundred, that's overwhelming, right? <laughs> and do you realize the spiritual like seeds of the gospel that are being planted down there that we won't, we don't even know the impact it's going to have that, that the, the, the kids ministry workers down there, the, 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 the things that are going to come from this, that are going to, they're not going to happen for two decades, three decades, four decades, like 60 years down the road, stuff will be happening because of what's happening right now. Right. And do you realize that like 50 or 60 kids are meeting over in a donut shop right now? Uh, youth, do, how many, how many bad decisions do you think have been avoided because of that? Like, I, I can't even imagine. And, and that, that time frame, that fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, um, yeah, man, you, you got it. Every one of them kids is like one decision away from ruining their life and they don't even realize it. And how important it is, the mission that's being uh, carried out over there. We baptized 10 people so far this, 11. 11, yeah, 11. I said 10 for a service, I was right. We're trying to make heaven a little more crowded. That's, that's what we're trying to do. I, I asked uh, Jonathan in between service. I'm like, hey, am I allowed to like talk bad about other churches? Does that help me? <laughs> or is that mean? Does it come off mean? I don't mean it mean, but like I said, I know what it's like to be a part of a church where it feels like you're not doing anything, where we're just like keeping the lights on. We're just gonna do this church. We're doing church every week and we have church. Why are we doing it? Because we have church. We have church because we have church. And it's just like the circular pointless thing. I just want you to see like, we're not a part of that here. We're, we're actually getting to watch God move in crazy ways. I feel um, privileged. I, I feel like we get to do this. This is amazing. It doesn't feel like I'm giving to like keep the lights on or something like that. No, it feels like we're giving to see God's mission fulfilled on this earth. And by the way, like my philosophy of money um, is like the goal is not to have some big fat savings account here. By the way, we're succeeding at that goal. Um, <laughs> but what I mean is like, I don't want, I don't get it when I hear pastors kind of brag about, hey, we got all this money. Like we did, like I would like, I would be embarrassed if I would like die today and like get to heaven and be like, God, look at this bank account that we made for you. <laughs> like God be like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're supposed to use that. So like when it comes in, we, we spit it back out to fulfill his mission. 
So I want to show you a, a surprisingly relatable verse for us as a church. It's 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Paul's writing this to the church in Corinth and he says, hey, since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, in your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love for us, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. So Paul's pointing out that the church in Corinth, they were good at a lot of stuff. They had all the checks and all the boxes, except for this one down at the bottom. He's like, hey, I want you to excel at that one too. And I wanna say that that's us. It's a little self-serving because he does have the gifted speaker thing in there, but I had to just ignore that for a minute. We're good at a lot of stuff, Mosaic, we are. We, we've got good music, we've got good preaching, we've got an awesome kids ministry, we've got a crazy good youth ministry. Our outreaches are, are amazing. Man, if we could get good at this, thunderstruck by what God would do. So here's what I want, worship team, why don't you guys come up here? What I want um, is for you to feel uh, uh, FOMO, fear, fear of missing out. I want you to feel um, like if, what, what a crazy thing to miss out on, to see God move. And I really feel like this is one of those things that you, you don't know until you know. That's why we call this series, If You Know, You Know. Because the people here who have given like this have experienced God move in ways they would have never experienced if they didn't. This is one of those things that you have to do it to experience it. You have to take that step of faith to experience God moving in this way. Man, I don't want you to miss out on that. To, see, to be able to have those stories to say, hey, we did this thing and man, God responded. We flashed, God boomed. We gave and God responded. Like, man, I want that for you. I want you to experience that in your life. And I want us to experience that. I want us to experience that as a church. I want to see what God will do with it. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much. Ah, you know, I struggle with this, Lord. This always feels different to talk about this. It's such an important aspect of our lives, Lord. I pray for the person right now who's on the edge. They have that fear in their throat, but they feel you nudging them. They feel you kind of calling out to take a step, Lord, that they would be bold in that faith. Oh, man. Pray that they would see it, that they get to experience for themselves and you move. Pray for us as a church, Lord, that this would be an area that we excel at, not that we're okay at, not that we're mediocre at, but that we would be excellent in this area as well. We want to see you move, Lord. We want to see your kingdom built. We want to be a part of what you're doing on this earth in every way we can be a part of it. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.